Welcome to the Urantia Podcast. I'm Jim Watkins. It's always a pleasure to have you here. We've got a really good podcast for you. In just a little bit, we're going to uh, play our interview with Brother Joshua Wilson, who resides in Arizona, in the northern part of Arizona, a longtime Urantia book reader, with quite a story to tell. And he has chosen to publish an essay, which is entitled, The Master and His Emissary. And it is based on the previous writings of a gentleman from Yale who did a study in 2009, a gentleman by the name of Ian McGilchrist, uh, who had a thesis on the two brain hemispheres and how the brain functions and how the brain operates and what each of these uh, hemispheres do, which corroborates, interestingly enough, uh, and unintentionally so, Ian McGilchrist's work actually does corroborate many of the statements the Urantia book makes in its discussion of the thought adjusters and, and, the, and what the mind does and what the mind is. And Now, if you ask most people, you know, is the mind a product of the brain or does it act independently of the brain? Can the two be separated? Is the brain or the consciousness something separate than the brain? Can it exist without the brain? Most people would probably tell you no. But we're going to talk about why the the mind is a separate function of the brain and how the two correlate. And all of this is going to be discussed coming up here on this edition of Urantia Radio, the podcast. And we'll be joined in just a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we begin with our interview on the mind and the brain and how it works and talk about some of the statements that are made in the Arantia book and how they're corroborated by another study that was done in 2009 by a gentleman from Yale, Ian McGilchrist. So we're going to bring all of this together, but I want to highlight a particular paper in the Arantia book to give us a premise of some of the things that we're going to be talking about here, and I want to see if they resonate with you. These are some pretty powerful and impactful words, and it comes from paper 111 on the subject. It's a paper on the adjuster and the soul. Now, the adjuster is the thought adjuster, and for those who aren't familiar with the Arantia book's concept of the thought adjuster, think of the thought adjuster as the spirit of the Father. It is actually a fragment, a spirit fragment of the Heavenly Father, and it resides in us throughout our entire lives, and it comes to us when we are children and we make that first moral choice. Think of the thought adjuster as God's way 
of trying to reveal spiritual truth to us throughout our life. Because that is essentially what this uh, this spirit does. And I'll start to read. I just want to go through this. And it's such such a collection of beautiful statements. And I want to give you a chance to enjoy it. And then we'll go into our interview with uh, Mr. Wilson. So paper 111, The Adjuster and the Soul. It reads, Intellectual selves have their origin in the cosmic mind, much as nebula take origin in the cosmic energies of universe space. Isn't that amazing? So just as our minds take origin in the cosmic mind, it's illustrated physically by the fact that our own sun uh, takes origin in nebula. Isn't that an amazing concept? On the human, hence personal level of intellectual selves, the potential of spirit evolution becomes dominant with the ascent of the mortal mind because of the spiritual endowments of the human personality together with the creative presence of an entity point of absolute value in such human selves. The material self must choose to cooperate with the indwelling adjuster or spirit in creating and fostering the Marantia self, the evolutionary and potentially immortal soul. So it is, it is a partnership between ourselves choosing to cooperate with God that contributes to the eventual appearance of our immor- immortal soul. Material mind is the arena in which human, personality, human personalities live, are self-conscious, make decisions, choose God or forsake Him, eternalize or destroy themselves. Material evolution has provided you a life machine, your body. The Father Himself has endowed you with the purest spirit reality known in the universe, your thought adjuster. But into your hands, subject to your own decisions, has been given mind, and it is by mind that you live or die. It is within this mind and with this mind that you make those moral decisions which enable you to achieve a juster likeness, and that is God-likeness. Mortal mind is a temporary intellect system loaned to human beings for use during a material lifetime, and as they use this mind, they are either accepting or rejecting the potential of eternal existence. Mind is about all you have of universal reality that is subject to your will, and the soul will faithfully portray the harvest of the temporal decisions which the mortal self is making. Human consciousness rests gently upon the electrochemical mechanisms below and delicately touches the spirit above. And it is not so much what mind comprehends as what mind desires to comprehend that ensures survival. Mind is the cosmic instrument on which the human will can play the discords of destruction or upon which the same human will can bring forth the exquisite melodies of God identification and consequent eternal survival. Mind is your ship. The adjuster is your pilot. The human will is captain. The master of the mortal vessel should have the wisdom to trust the divine pilot to guide the ascending soul into the Marancha harbors of eternal survival. With your consent, this faithful pilot will safely carry you across the barriers of time and the handicaps of space to the very source of the divine mind and on beyond, even to the Paradise Father 
of adjusters. I was reading an article by Dennis Prager, the talk show host, a couple of days ago, and he was talking about our desire to worship. And Prager noted something which should have been obvious, but he says that what distinguishes human beings from all of our other animal relatives is that we have a desire to worship. Uh, But it isn't something that our survival is contingent upon. In other words, we eat because if we didn't eat, we would die. If we didn't have sexual relations, our species would die. So these are things that that are wired into us, hardwired into us for our own survival. But Prager says when it comes to worship, that's an urge to find truth, but that urge has nothing whatsoever to do with our physical survival. But it's there and it's real because human beings share the ability and the desire to worship. And so his conclusion, and it's sort of the premise of what we're going to talk about, is that we are hardwired to search for God. And so with that, let us begin our interview segment of this podcast here on Your Rancher Radio. Talking with Joshua Wilson, uh, and what caught my eye on this particular subject is this paper that uh, appeared on, where did I find it? On Facebook? It's called Thought Adjustment Between the Two Brain Hemispheres, uh, a book review with his commentary on the master and his emissary. The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western World, uh, Ian McGillcrest, Yale University Press, 2009. And then this is your presentation based on the works of Ian McGillcrest. And Brother Joshua Wilson joins me here on this program. So, uh, Josh, we were talking about, we were doing a pre-interview, and we were talking about your history with the Arantia Papers and how you founded the the Greater Grand Canyon Society in Arizona. Is that correct? Yeah, the Grand Canyon Society is the uh, Urach Book uh, Fellowship Society in Arizona. Okay, and tell tell me a little bit about that, and you're a a native of Arizona, so tell me a little bit about that and how you got involved with the book and then how you've come to, as best as you can, in 37 years, I suppose we have a lot of ground to cover. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've been reading the book since 1977, and then we operated a study group for 37 years, and uh, one of the study groups in Arizona, the, uh, the one I was involved with, uh, that ran for, for quite a while, yeah, a lot of great friendships, which continue on to this day, a lot of edu- projects, um conferences put on and so on and so forth so uh we've really enjoyed uh, boosting and spreading the good news about the the revelation here in arizona and in the southwest you know i haven't checked lately but um i know you know there's a lot of groups in california and florida seem to be uh areas where there's a lot of interest uh is it the case also in arizona with new readers are you seeing new uh, faces more frequently at study groups? Uh, we're—I would say—we're holding pretty 
pretty much steady, mm-hmm. and uh, there's always the efforts to connect with with more people and with with young people, and we have you know from time to time some interesting things uh, going on um, at our uh, Jubilee of Jubilees celebration last May 18th uh, here in the Phoenix area. And folks from around the state came, and a uh, uh, lot of young people, uh, that type of thing. So, yeah, we try to keep keep in touch and keep things moving. Uh, what was it about the book? Everybody likes to talk about some of the early days when they first found it. What was it about the book that appealed to you, Josh? Yeah, well, I was part of the Jesus movement, uh, so when I was in college as a music student at Arizona State University. Uh, I was led to Christ by, uh, by a friend and had a, a pretty powerful born-again conversion experience at that time as a kind of frustrated college student. Well, it happened at that time that the, the Jesus movement was going on, and uh, Peter Max drawing or uh, painting of the face of Jesus Christ appeared on the front of Time magazine. Uh, we had Jesus Christ Superstar played for 700 performances at the Mark Keller Auditorium in New York. I mean, it was a really happening thing. Yeah, and young people were just no one could could or where it started. It was it was really just. Like when Jesus said, uh, you hear the sound of the wind blowing, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It was kind of like that. It was just a revival. And I was part of that. Well, that was a great experience. I mean, I grew my hair long uh, and my beard long. And uh, I had a lot of hitchhiking around. We would do what we called witnessing on the street. So we would just go out and talk to people, uh, just, just a great time. But after a few years, it, it seemed to, um, to die down as winds that blow tend to do. And then I found myself like a man in the, trying to ring out from, one more drop of water for sustenance and praying for for help, praying for a relationship with God. Well, at that time, one of my old friends from the Jesus movement had moved to another city down in southern Arizona, and I went to visit him, and lo and behold, he had a Urantia book on the shelf. And that's another story. Um, I'll take too much time to go into it, but I've written my memoirs, and I, I do quite a bit of writing and essays. You can read all about it. It's just, it really was an amazing, one of those angelic God stories. But just to, to be brief, I'll say that, boom, I found that. Uh, I had been asking uh, for help and learning about who Melchizedek was 
And the first passage in the book opened up to a description of Machiavelli to Melchizedek. Yeah. So it was an answer to prayer. Uh, I found out about it, and it lit a fire under me in 1977, October, that has uh, not died down since. Was there any particular reason why you didn't just uh, go the mainstream route? Uh, you'd you'd found the Lord, and you were uh, caught up in the movement of the you know that period, which I I have hazy well, memories. But but you didn't. Yeah, sure, Jim. Yeah, but you you you, you walked away feeling dissatisfied. It's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, but I had a lot of family members and uh, involved with church, and so I ended up going both both directions simultaneously. And so I became uh, the pastor, and uh, over a seven-year period delivered over 300 sermons uh, that taught the concepts of the Urantia book very particularly and strongly. However, it was coached or couched, I should say, in the language of the Bible, the stories of the Bible. That's fascinating and, to me. Because yeah, so it, was I, it successful? I, I did, did you get people that said, where did you get that from? Sometimes. Surprisingly, uh, it, it didn't seem to work that way. <laughs> yeah. In a positive way? Because I know Meredith yeah, Sprunger, uh, are you familiar with Meredith mm -hmm. Sprunger? You must be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah United Church of Christ uh, passed away re a couple years ago. But, you know, he, he too, mm -hmm. uh, would, would try to include the concepts of the UB into his, you know, his sermons. And I've always been fascinated by how one could do that uh, and then what would happen if somebody came up to you because there have been times when I've been talking to Christians and I might I would say something to them that is referencing a part of the book of the fourth part of the the, the UB and they'll say I don't remember Jesus ever saying that where'd you get that from you know and of course I don't mm -hmm. but uh, that has not been in general your experience well that's good so you're you're a pastor musician writer you've you've had this book in your life you've and it, it has been consistent, I would imagine. A lot of people who, uh, uh, and I can even speak from my own experience, the, uh, the, the book is so consistent over the years, uh, it never fails to deliver in, in provoking some sort of thought, which kind of brings me to your, your paper, which is why I wanted to have you on, is Joshua Wilson, uh, uh, explain to me this, this essay, this book review, of uh, of the works of Ian, and am I pronouncing that Ian McGilchrist, who wrote about the divided That's brain? Correct. So that caught That's your correct. eye, and I found what you what you walked away was fabulous. I want to just kind of read one little paragraph here, kind of set the stage, and then we could talk about it. In McGilchrist's view, the master is the right hemisphere of the brain, and the emissary is the left, describing that we are two-brained uh, beings. It will take some effort and finessing of the differences to avoid simplistic conclusions. First, it is important to know that both brains are involved in everything. Both are involved together in speech, analysis, understanding, and emotions. And you write, I view McGillcrest studies on the two brain as the most insightful of any I've ever read, and that is why you've penned this essay. So uh, you made a point in, that in the 60s when they first started uh, talking about the brain and the function of the brain, 
science sort of took a they seemed to stop like they didn't continue to try to figure out why the brain operates because you, most people think that the brain is the mind and the mind is the brain and they're they're not separable but that's not the case according to the Urantia book so could you sort of explain to us uh, how the brain functions and, and in, in particular what the Urantia book says actually turns out to be true that we, we may not know this in modern science today. Yeah, the Gilchrist spent 20 years of actual research and study uh, on the function of the two hemispheres of the brain. And so the uh, step, now we need a connection uh, as we look at the two hemispheres as described by current science, like by McGilchrist, I felt a need to connect that up with, with what the Urantia book says about the function of, of the two brains. And that was the purpose of the paper, to show how the thought adjuster is, is working with our brain structure. Other planets uh, have persons with one brain, uh, then there's a two-brained type here on, uh, on Urantia, and other planets have three brains, as you can imagine that. So uh, the, the, uh, I found wonderful connections in the the, the this two-brain series that we have, and how the thought adjuster adjusts thinking with our type of structure. And I found it all to be quite fascinating. Yeah, me too, because there has not been a lot of, ex in my opinion, the uh, Urantia book is still light years ahead in terms of explaining the differences between all of the elements that make up the, the, the highly evolved human intellect. You know, for, for example, uh, you write... Uh, in your your essay, the key to grasping the why of two hemispheres is to recognize that each has its own very different view of the world. And this is what I was thinking in this last couple of days. The difference is the asymmetry of the two has increased from the lineage of the apes, not diminished, and evolution always has a purpose. But what your explanation is, is that the two hemispheres, okay. one, one tends to look at the world holistic view you know, the full picture, and then the other part of the brain, the left part, looks at specific tasks that need to be done. Let's go in there and let's get it done, whereas the the master side, the right brain, tends to say, hold on here, let's look at all the possibilities. And that's how we process things throughout our life. Do We, we do this subconsciously, but the work of the spirit, which is the, the thought adjuster, is to do two things, if I understand. One is to take a snapshot and spiritize a concept for later use, as you describe, and then also to sort of allow you to grasp something, a truth, a revelation of some sort that took a lot of time for your brain to process. And, uh, you know, jump in any time, but I found your essay, like the first time in years that I've read somebody who's actually taken the Urantia book to task, and what you're saying is that the M M M McGilchrist work 
sort of does that. It takes the Arantia Books concept to task. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. Uh, the Gilchrist made some, uh, some great discoveries, and that's why the kind of pop science of the 1960s and 1970s about, uh, you know, right-brain people and left-brain people and tendencies tended up to be basically, in the Gilchrist's view, absurd. Uh, that's why I call it pop science. Now we're up to some better science, and then we're combining that with the revelation of the Urantia book itself, which, as you said, is light years <laughs> ahead, because it describes to us, you know, as we know, one of the central themes of the Urantia book is this inestimable gift uh, from the father of a father's fragment the mystery monitor, the thought right. adjuster, or controller, as we call it, as we get older. You know, uh, or the light that lighteth every man is, I think, how the scripture. <laughs> you yeah, would, you would know more than I would. Viewpoint. You know, my brother, who is a yeah. reader, once commented. He says, "I don't. I've always had trouble with the word thought adjuster. It sounds like mind control, but I think you sort of explain it in a different mm -hmm. way. It's not." It's not controlling; it's adjusting. It's taking something and, and making, and spiritizing it, giving a, you know, uh, what, what is that one thing you say? It's a, uh, the right brain initiates higher thought than your human uh, intellect. Left brain parses out the details and refers it back again to the right brain, and it's a back and forth like a tennis ball until a concept, a feeling, or an idea settles and gets the divine stamp of approval. That is thought adjustment through a human divine joint effort. It's almost like a hand coming from above, reaching down, and you're grasping for it. You finally grab it, and it pulls you up. It's pretty amazing. Oh, that's 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 that is amazing, and and that's what's happening with uh, every person on Earth. Uh, the thought adjusters are given uh, worldwide uh, to everyone at a five or six. Going on right now, as we speak, uh, in our minds and, and with everyone on Earth, is there's a continual uh, effort by this divine presence within our mind, which has birthed our soul, to uh, lead us upward into higher and better concepts and understandings. And during this time of sleep, according to the Arantia book, the adjuster uh, endeavors to register concepts uh, in the superconscious. Then it becomes part of our uh, enlarged understanding of, of the world, of God, of the universe, of purpose uh, that we need to know. Uh, are fostered through this process of thought adjustment. And it just doesn't happen out in the ether someplace. This is actually being played out with the biological brain structure that we uh, have been endowed with and that is the process of evolution. So this, this presence, this Spirit presence from the Father 
the thought adjuster uh, activity is touching on the electrochemical very lightly touching that connecting with the Marantia mind structure above and and making the connection from but it, it it happens in the material brain and then it connects with the soul mind well I couldn't have said it better myself and I want to encourage people to read more of your works and I want to just reiterate, uh, how can we find out more about this particular paper? How would you go about recommending yeah. people read it, get it, get a copy of it? What would you like us to do? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send out a copy to anyone who asks. All they have to do is send me a message uh, on email at musical, M-U-S-I-C-A-L, at cox.net. That's cox.net, musical at cox.net. Thank you, Jim, and God bless everyone out there. Uh, may your thoughts be divinely adjusted today, and may you find love and joy and a place to worship. Thanks again to my guests this time up on your Rancher Radio, the podcast. Hey, I want to give you a great reason to check back on our next episode. We're doing something very exciting we ran across uh, an essay. Actually, it's, it's an incredible story of the first human family. And you are going to love the narrative. Next time up on Your Rancher Radio, the first human family as told in story, authored by Rick Warren. And that'll be our subject on the next podcast here. Until next time, thanks again for joining me. Oh